I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You're listening to our daily podcast edition of the program. I'm honored to welcome Scott Dworkin to our program today. He is co-founder of the Democratic Coalition and hosts the Dworkin Report podcast. Thanks so much for joining me, Scott. How are you, my friend? Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm hanging in there. Scott, you wrote an authoritative account of each one of the prospective presidential and ultimately vice presidential candidates. Um, so you have particular insight into uh, Vice President Biden's decision to name Kamala Harris as his running mate. Um, what was most striking to you in researching and writing about Senator Harris in considering her for the ticket and now knowing that she is on the 2020 Democratic ticket? I, you know, one of the things that I was surprised about in Senator Harris' background was that uh, it, it was it wasn't as as it's presented right now, like there's some controversy or whatever, but when we were comparing it to Trump and everybody everybody else that was a nominee, or, or sorry, that was a candidate, um, you know, we weren't exactly sure uh, if there were, uh, besides Pete, who didn't really have, you know, the most extensive record because he's younger, um, it, it there wasn't much, quote unquote, dirt uh, to dig up on her. Um, so that was that was a positive, and she's been obviously vetted extensively. You know, there are some things that that pop up, um, but you know, nothing that would prevent her from uh, eventually being president or serving as the vice president. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that it's a, it's an excellent choice. Um, one of the things that I, I really enjoyed reading about was the camaraderie of like her and her friends and her family. Um, you know, we we don't just get. Uh, her as the vice president nominee. She has a very large network of supporters um, that are diehard and will go out and be surrogates for her. Um, you know, she has a, a gigantic uh, social media presence. Um, and I think the positives way outweigh the negatives. And, you know, one of the things I like to say to friends that bring up, oh, well, you know, there was that time that she did this when she served as attorney. And I'm like, Whenever people bring up a negative, I'm like, that's understandable. I want to go back and go 30,000 feet and just say, okay, Mike Pence. And then, you know, I think that people need to realize we're not going to like everything that folks do all the time that are going to, you know, Biden or Harris. Um, But when you look at the other option as well, it's very clear, you know, there's the stark comparison between Harris and, and Pence is going to be, I mean, it's jaw dropping. So I, I, I think, uh, you know, it's mostly a good past and, and there's not going to be much that they're going to be able to dig up on her because we looked extensively, like really, really hard. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we, we really did investigate her. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, also she's, you know, in a great position um, for this. It's, it's perfect for the ticket. And, and I think that uh, Biden chose right. Ultimately, I think Biden wanted to reassure the country that a, he would have a partner um, who had the experience in the midst of this national tragedy and conflagration. Um, but I suspect, Scott, that you believe that Senator Harris will be combative, formidable, and play what has been the, the traditional role of the VP candidate, which Tim Kaine did not, which is uh, attack dog when necessary. But I, I think, and, and let me hear your insight into this, that she can be a very likable and attractive attack dog. 
I, I, I think that, uh, you know, Senator Harris definitely has a, a lot of experience to bring to the table with debating and also doing things in real time. Uh, you know, it's serving as an attorney and, and making sure that as a prosecutor, um, you, you know, she's used to intense situations and coming up with something to re- reply to um, something, uh, something uh, somebody else said. Now, there, there's going to be a lot of rise above moments, but there's definitely going to be jabs thrown and uh, it's, she's going to be a great person to, to throw them, that's for sure. So just uh, I, I think that she's going to be much more like night and day, much more aggressive, but it's not going to be in a confrontational uh, scenario. You know, it'll be scoffing off whatever attack, you know, Trump and Pence are making at that time. Um, and then also undermining the propaganda that comes out of the Trump campaign and making sure that, you know, we, we have rapid response and I think that, um, you know, Biden's great at being stern and, and stoic, but, uh, you know, Harris can, can also, um, I, I think, give more of a, an authoritative sense uh, in, in some way than, than Biden can. And, and that's one of her, her benefits is, is just being able to, um, you know, see, talk, talk so seriously, but uh, feel like you're you're the only one she's talking to. So it it, it just it, I think that you're gonna, you're going to see a you know it's going to be a different kind of campaign. I think it would have been without COVID. This would I mean this is it would be worse than we'd ever imagine. Um, but due to COVID, it's changed the whole makeup of the campaign and the acceleration of it and what you know what it's going to be about. And I think that we can control the message more because he doesn't have the opportunity to spread as much propaganda. So we're not fighting against the same uh, sort of things that we expected in the first place. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see, but um, there'll be those moments, I, I, you know, where, where Senator Harris steps out and is that attack kind of person. But uh, I think you're right also where, you know, there's the, the sentimental and, you know, human being empathy, love, uh, drive, character, and, and inspirational tone, uh, you know, a person that can speak to women everywhere uh, and men is, is, and, uh, you know, the LGBTQIA community. Uh, you know, I, I think that this is a well-rounded, uh, perfect choice for what we need exactly right now. And I think she'll make a phenomenal vice president. Geographically, Beto O'Rourke and, and Kamala Harris represented the the West and the Midwest in a way um, that has been profoundly different from recent tickets. Um, and I wonder if you think that there will be an infusion of excitement just by virtue of the fact that she's representing California. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like the, the, how Biden represents Delaware and Pennsylvania. And then you've got West coast now in California. And I think, um, you know, Biden relates a lot to the Midwest, and he can obviously relate well to the South as well as Harris. Um, so I think there's, they're able to, they're both able to campaign nationally, especially in the swing states where they'll, they'll need to be. Um, so I, I think that she's a, a huge energy boost to the campaign. Not that Biden didn't fire people up, um, but I think uh, given the fact that she's from California, given the fact that she's been a, a rock star for a while now, um, and that she's insanely popular in some parts of the country. I, I think that it's going to be, you know, people are going to want to show up to see just her speak. 
right? So it's not going to have to be Biden and her campaigning in the same spot, even though that'll happen. Um, and so it, it also the, the social media reach is gigantic. Um, and that's a, that's a huge part of it, being able to connect with people via there and then get people to turn out to different events. Um, you know, I think, and also speak directly to people. Um, I, I think that's going to be a big benefit, but, um, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, he needed somebody that could, again, campaign on their own, not someone that, you know, would kind of just be on the ticket. They need to be, you know, campaigning hard, uh, if not harder, um, you know, than Biden. And I think that that's exactly who he chose. And, you know, not, not to just sing her praises or anything like that, but I, I, I would say that, you know, her, uh, being younger than Biden um, by a few years, obviously, and also having a different life experience is going to be really important for the diversity of our ticket because that, that's what we're trying to evoke our party to be. And I think as you see, um, you know, potential cabinet positions, which I don't like ever even talking about because it's, you know, counting eggs, um, I, I always want to make sure that... Um, I, I think that they'll make sure that the the people that are in a potential administration are extremely diverse as well. Um, and, and I think and that's just as a as a purely functional matter, you don't think that this ticket is going to have a, a problem resonating with Sanders, Warren, Buttigieg, other Democratic candidate voters. No, no. I think I think it takes it takes a second for people to realize, you know, uh, that there's two choices. And that's it. And when they realize the two choices, the momentum will start to build. The worst thing that could happen is if we everybody was like, yeah, like 100 percent, all in for Biden. And then it drops from here. Um, so we're in a good situation where people are excited. And then uh, the Harris edition amped this up to a new level. Um, and I think everybody's ready to work un- until, you know, through through Election Day now. So it, well, it, you're pointing out, Scott, that complacency was a huge enemy in 2016. And there's still the risk, even in these dire circumstances, of that reemerging in 2020. But the polls are still pretty competitive in a number of swing states. Right. No, it, it's, uh, it's close. I, I always say, you know, we have to not, not only will we cheat, um, we have to assume that we have to win by a landslide in places um, to Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, uh, North Carolina. Like we have to win by a landslide where it's not even questionable. Where the Secretary of State, if they're a Republican, they have to say, no, the, this is not, there's no fraud here. Like, you know, we didn't run a big scam or something like that. Because um, I think, think that's. Scott, do you think that Democrats are doing enough to ensure that that both the media and those secretaries of state responsibly announce the results because of the fact that many mail ballots may not be counted within the first 24 hours. It's not clear that the Democratic leadership, specifically, you know, the Biden campaign or Pelosi, are aware of the fact that Louis DeJoy, Trump's hand-picked GOP super donor, the first um, non-USPS personnel to be appointed postmaster general is is what is doing what what appears to be a real criminal sabotage 
um, operation to suspend delivery in democratic leaning and majority zip code. So I, on both of those scores, are there things you'd like to be hearing from Democrats that you're not hearing now about the, the efforts to delegitimize the outcome and not even just the outcome, but the process? Right. And we, we, um, so there's a couple of things that we're doing now that uh, are, are in response to what he's, he's done to the post office. And one is setting up um, legal uh, drop-off boxes um, at, at, you know, the, the different polling sites where people can bring in their ballot and hand deliver them. Um, and it's, uh, if they have ID laws in the state, then they confirm their ID from afar, but that way they just turn it in and they don't have to have any in-person action outside of that. Um, we're also looking at, uh, the potential of, of people, um, making sure that they, uh, you know, if they're able in certain districts, like there's some places where it may be, if they want their vote to be for sure counted, they'll have to mask up and go in person to vote. But like, that's not what we want anybody to have to do at this point though. Um, some different counties across the country, we may be forced to recommend that. So we, there are a lot of different ideas that have floated around, but the most common one is, is to make sure that, you know, people can show up and have their vote counted without having to have the post uh, office be a, a middle person in, in that process and getting rid of that um, is it seems seems easy but a lot of places will make it illegal to do that from now on or they'll make it so that we're not able to um, for some reason but we're going to try and every single avenue that we possibly can to give people as many options as they can but keep it clear to them as to what those options are um, given their state and their district. And there are some places where, you know, it's going to be safest, like, you know, for people to vote by mail just overall. Um, but again, where they drop that off at, I think is key because it, it, in a lot of places uh, or some uh, right as of right now, they, they don't need to send it in the, via the post office. Some of them can be dropped off at election uh, precincts. Uh, some of them can be dropped off at election headquarters, I mean. Um, some of them can be, uh, uh, I, I guess you could send it in via mail. But again, there's no confirmation that you, you know, it was received until after the election. There's no, uh, at, at this point, there's so many question marks around the Postal Service that it's hard to trust you know, that, that process, no matter what, he's made people question it. So there have to be other options. So, um, you know, even, even the people who vote in person, we're having problems because they still are, have, you know, different, uh, um, uh, ballots, uh, I guess the electronic ballots, especially that are online. And so they're hackable. So we've got, we've got so many problems with our voting. It's just kind of becoming more exposed now. And I, I don't think that a lot of places it'll be safe to vote in person, but they're going to try and force that. And I'll tell you what, um, you know, I think that Democrats are going to be in a good spot to, to make sure that, um, you know, everybody knows how to, how to ensure that their vote counts to the best of their abilities. And at the same time, we have as many election uh, workers on 
election day and also leading up to it to make sure that fraud is monitored. And I think pointing out the postal potential fraud puts a microscope on it. And that really helps uh, bring out the potential corruption and really deter other people potentially from doing it. But think about this. If someone decided to commit this kind of election fraud uh, and Trump wins re-election, I don't feel as if that person's going to get prosecuted even if they're caught. So that may be the thinking. So the extensiveness of the potential cheating, I'm not sure of. But given all that, voting by mail is still safe. Um, and, and, you know, in places where we think that the Postal Service is not going to be impacted, we will, you know, reassure voters uh, of that fact. Um, and uh, I know that Democratic Party leadership as well will do the same. Right now it's in flux because we're still investigating what actually happened and uh, the extent of that. Now, we don't have much time in regards to responding to the Postal Service and figuring out what's next. So we have to assume the worst, and we have to assume that the post office is compromised and to recommend people find a different way to vote that does not involve the Postal Service. And so we're going to provide all those options to people so people realize that it's not the only way that they need to submit their ballot. Scott, what I hear you saying is that there may be a point at which Senate Democratic candidates and the Biden-Harris campaign inform the electorate or at least potential Democratic voters that we, we don't know if your vote can be trusted in, in X location and therefore we suggest in a socially distant way you vote in person. I hear you saying that, that they may take that drastic measure to actually share you know, that guidance with potential voters, but we're not at that point yet. I don't know if they'll tell people to vote in person. You know, that, that'll be a person's individual decision. I guess what we're meaning to say is that we one of the options um, outside of mailing it in via the post office. And I think looking for those other options besides using the post office, give people more of that thought of my vote is going to count and uh, also the likelihood of it counting as well. Um, but the reality is, you know, criminals are going to commit crimes and, you know, we don't expect to be massive, you know, massive fraud behind uh, elections. But um, if it happens, sadly, a lot of times you don't find out until after the fact. And so, you know, we need to make sure that we protect ourselves as much as possible now. Um, so when it comes down to people voting, um, you know, I think the closest that they'll push about people voting in person is coming in to drop off their ballot, you know, via a drive through voting, which is probably going to be the most common thing that we see. Um, and that'll be the biggest push overall is having people drive in, get their ballots handed to them. Um, and then, you know, they vote and then they submit it. Somebody takes it from their car and they go on. And I think that'll be the most common common way outside of the vote by mail, which this is our primary source right now. It's and, still going to be for, via the post office, you know. For our listeners who are interested in what you're doing at Democrat Coalition and how they can be involved, um, what, what is what is your work on an ongoing basis in, in this campaign cycle? So we're investigating uh, 12 different Senate candidates that uh, are running for re-election and also running for office for the first time. And, uh, you know, we're looking into their past and mostly into opposition research. 
And then we're also doing uh, some of the biggest online organizing campaigns that have ever existed in politics. And uh, we'll be focused on uh, campaigns that drive people via hashtags and, and elsewhere uh, to, to try and drive that interaction, make sure that they're calling voters um, and that they're digitally knocking on doors per se, and that we're getting out the vote as much as possible and that people are spreading the message of uh, more of the, the love and empathy and having, you know, stern and, and uh, leadership that's more, I guess, stoic than um, one that's more of a clown show. Um, so it, it's, we're, we're also focused on the digital organizing aspect um, of things. And then we're, on top of that, we, we make uh, ads and uh, videos that are, are in support of, of these different campaigns um, you know, that will run on TV. So there's a lot of rapid response, a lot of messaging um, that we also present uh, for the Democratic Party or, or, you know, for Democrats, not for the Democratic Party. But um, and, and what Senate races do you find, based on your research, the incumbents or the Republican candidates to be most vulnerable um, sure. North Carolina, Arizona, Colorado, um, and Maine would be prime four. And I think Jones will win re-election in Alabama. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, in Kentucky, South Carolina, and Georgia, those are going to be more competitive than people would, would ever think. And uh, I also think that Texas has some potential. Um, there's a lot of weird, weird different kind of things going on in, in Mississippi as it is, uh, you know, at, at we're, we're kind of opening ourselves up to trying to play in every, every state. Uh, another one that's kind of under the radar is Alaska. And, you know, Mark Begich used to be there, a Democrat. And I think that we can win that back. And I think that's under the radar right now where people think it's against Sullivan. And uh, so there's the potential of that. So, Right now, you know, having them have to defend in two seats in Georgia, you know, South Carolina and Kentucky leadership, um, defend, you know, judiciary in Texas, uh, North Carolina, where Burr is involved with his stock scandal and he is insanely unpopular and it's spilled over now to Tillis. Um, you know, you have astronaut Mark Kelly, who's married to Gabby Giffords in Arizona against uh, McSally. I just... I don't know how you beat an astronaut. It's really, really hard. Uh, in Colorado, um, you know, I think that that's, I think Gardner is not popular enough to, to win that. I don't, I don't think that uh, that's possible. I think Peters in Michigan is going to win close to reelection. Um, and then in Maine, um, I'm going to go ahead and say like uh, Susan Collins career is over. Well, th- those are strong predictions, but they, they certainly, sync with the realities in, in those states, especially with the death tolls of, of COVID and, and the lack of government oversight and protection for citizens of, of Arizona in particular. Just as a final thought, Scott, what is your caution to your fellow politicos and to the media about premature election um, coverage and calling races before enough mail ballots are counted. Um, do you have confidence in, in, you know, that most of the swing states, um, which since the 2016 cycle are now um, 
for example, in Wisconsin and Michigan, um, in under the control of, of Democratic administrations. But do you do you generally have confidence that both the media and the swing state secretaries of state and governors will be responsible in the way that the votes are counted? Yeah, I, I you know we've we've looked at that, and there's precedent with um, different secretaries, especially in swing states, of, of them speaking out against Trump and uh, um, his claims of election fraud, uh, Republicans and Democrats. So I just don't know if it would be different for the presidential election. So my, my recommendation to the people that are voting is to make sure that he loses by a landslide everywhere, um, as much as we possibly can. We, in regards to people reporting on the races, you know, I think they just need to um, understand that if it's too close to call, then that's what it stays to be, and we'll have to wait to figure it out. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Republicans won't be prepared for how all-in we're going to be on the court side of things. And, uh, you know, we're really playing to win not just the election, but to get him out of the White House, because even if we win handily, we still got to get him out of there. And he's got to leave. Um, and, you know, that's a, a true concern of everybody. Now, Biden has said, you know, if that's the case, then the military will take him out of the White House. And I, I believe that that will never happen. I think he'll just, you know, mope and go on the helicopter and then act like he was never president. <laughs> Scott, thanks so much for your insight today. Thank you, brother, for having me on. I appreciate it.